This is Dr. Kara Shepard, and you're listening to Goat Talk with the Goat Doc. everybody thanks for listening to goat talk with the goat doc uh this is an off-the-cuff episode i know we're kind of in the middle of calcium parts one and two uh and i need to calcium part two talking about calcium uh like calcium problems uh too much calcium not enough calcium not enough vitamin d and how that affects calcium um that's in progress um, but I had a couple minutes I'm running some goat supply getting errands at the moment and I had a minute so I was going to um, record just some thoughts about breeding season because it's that time of year it is September 27th today and if you follow me on Instagram, you might have seen that there a sign of the apocalypse happened in that I finished my breeding plan like multiple weeks before we actually starting breeding, which if you've been a podcast listener for a while or if you followed me on Instagram for a while, you know I'm real bad at that. Um, I tend to procrastinate and... Uh, not be like down to the wire and does are yelling at us in heat and I'm like oh what am I doing with you so this is a this is a maybe it's maybe it's a good thing maybe it's a sign that 2021 was slightly less insane than 2020 in that I'm prepared and we have more of a concrete plan for breeding at our farm this year and I was just I was just thinking about like I should get a guest on to talk about how they develop a breeding plan and that would be fun because everybody's going to be different i'm just going to talk about what i do because it's on my mind at the moment and it's probably on your mind too if you're in the northern hemisphere um so this is one of these like this is my opinion episodes take it or leave it but i think it's interesting to talk about what other people do as far as breeding animals this podcast is provided with the intent to educate and inform. It is not a substitute for professional medical advice or veterinary care provided by your primary vet. And I strongly encourage you to establish and maintain a current and valid VCPR veterinary and client patient relationship with your local vet. Uh, if you have questions or comments about this topic or any other topics or goats in general or just want to say hi, you can shoot me an email at goat.cara at gmail.com. You can find the website at goatdoc.com. You can find me on Instagram at goat underscore doc. Um, and if you want to join a super awesome group of people who think that the podcast is worth supporting monetarily, you can head on over to patreon.com slash goat doc and check out what's going on over there don't want to blather on too much here um i have limited space left on my voice recorder right now and i think about 25 minutes before i get to my first uh errand stop which is the credit union adulting boo um so we're gonna get right into it like i said i'm just it's just that time of year when i'm thinking about breeding i'm thinking about my bucks i'm thinking about the does and like what all's going on so 
here we go. And, and also like we're a little, we're doing something a little bit different this year with our breeding program than we ever have before, uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, we typically start breeding in early October, um, which is like next week. Uh, so for us in early October, that puts us at starting a kidding season in early March. Devin and I were talking this summer and he was like saying how he feels bad that my birthday is at the end of March and we're always kidding on my birthday. We never get to do anything fun on my birthday. And he was like, I want to do something fun on your birthday. We should start kidding later. And I was like, well, March is really late. Um, the thing for our breeding plan that we do is we always pick our does that like are our strong does and that we want to do artificial insemination on and we breed them first. Uh, why do we do that? Uh, for AI at my place, we do all of our AI off natural heats because I'm there all the time. I don't need to set these does up to schedule for somebody to come and do timed AI on them. Uh, you can go back and listen to the couple episodes. I think there are a couple episodes. There's at least one episode back a couple, couple years ago now. Holy crap. Um, about... Uh, advanced reproductive techniques where I talk about AI and uh, you know you can set those up for timed AI I don't think we have this down to quite the science that it is in cows but it absolutely can be done uh, I do all of our herds AI off of life of natural heats. So they're in heat in the morning. I AI them in, I AI them in the evening. They're in heat in the evening. I AI them in the morning. Um, so, and we do that, we try to do that early in the season. Why do we do that early in the season? A couple of reasons. Some does, in my experience, their early heats tend to be stronger. Um, we are past the autumn equinox now, so daylight hours are getting shorter. And I think I talked about the physiology of this back in the breeding episodes that I did. Uh, the daylight hours influence the pineal gland in the brain, which provides signaling for... Uh, behavioral asterisk basically and also for bucks to start getting stinky and ruddy um so all of those like seasonal breeding season behaviors are influenced by the daylight hours um, daylight hours are one other way you can manipulate your animals to either cycle or not but they have to be inside so we don't do that um the so early in my experience, the earlier in the season heats tend to be stronger. They tend to be behaviorally stronger. So does are yelling, they're flagging, they're more obviously in heat, which makes it easier to say, okay, you're in heat, we're going to AI you this afternoon. Um, and then also the other big thing for us is it kind of matters a lot to us that all of our does get bred uh, because we run a business. The... Uh, you know, like this year, 2020, we had too many freeloaders. We had a bunch of yearlings that could have been bred and didn't get bred. And we had a couple of stragglers that just like, uh, you know, they didn't get bred. And we were like, whoops, oh, well, we're not going to pursue it because we don't like having kids too late in the season. And also like because of COVID, we didn't know what this year was going to be like as far as demand for our product. And we didn't really want to be in a situation like we were last year where we had a ton of milk and nowhere for it to go. So the this year, too many freeloaders. We are not wanting that for this coming year. Um, 
So if I have AI, I would say on average, my, my AI success rate for my own animals is about 70%. So about seven out of 10 does that I AI, I will get them bred that way, which isn't too bad. I'm pretty happy with that. To be perfectly honest, there's a lot of variables in AI, the numbers game of like, how many sperm am I putting into that, uh, into that cervix or into that uterus, like how likely is that to take? It's kind of amazing that it takes at all um, compared to live cover where there's so many more sperm. Uh, So that if they don't take on AI, then, you know, they come into heat again in three weeks and we breed them, we live cover them, or at least we will this year because uh, we're having a little bit of a different plan this year, which I'll get into in a second. Uh, in previous years, we would be like, okay, I AI'd her at the first week of October. She didn't take. This is the third week of October. If I really want this AI breeding, maybe I do it again. And then um, if it didn't take that time, then I still have time to get that doe bred by live cover and have a spring kid or kids from that breeding um, without too much craziness. And we want, we like to have a kidding window that is not too prolonged. The last couple of years, our kidding window has been fairly prolonged, and it makes things, some things like more work for us, which is kind of meh. Like we do a lot of work, so I would like some of these things to be less work. And one of the things that is a ton of work is having a whole bunch of kids that you're bottle raising. Uh, Our breeding plan for 2021 looks like 45 to 48 does to breed, which translates probably to 100 to 110, 120 kids, which is a lot of kids. Um, We are retiring a few does this year, and we have a ton of first fresheners this year. So a couple things we need to think about in terms of that is that first fresheners don't tend to make as much milk, so we are having more of them. because we are then some of the does that are retiring have been historically larger milk producers. So we don't want to, uh, if we bred, so for example, if we had 30, like five year old third and fourth freshening does, like they're going to make more milk than 30 first fresheners. They're just smaller does. Their mammary gland hasn't developed and increased its capacity over the course of a couple of lactations. It's just the way it is. So we're having more first fresheners for 2022 on our breeding plan. Uh, some of our older ladies are retiring. I've been very impressed this year. We've been on milk tests for the first time this year, and some of our old girls are still cranking it, and I am so impressed with them. Um, it's just, it's been really interesting to have the actual numbers on each of these does as far as our milk testing data goes. And I, it's not been hard. Um, there is like, you know, a financial component to it, but I don't think it's unreasonable for the information that's being provided. Uh, so we've kind of figured out our system for doing milk tests and, like it's not it's not so bad we did it this morning and it takes a little extra time and then you got to fill out some paperwork and pay a fee to have your milk samples you know analyzed but it's I think it's worth it it's really useful data Um, and it's something that I would encourage everybody to do to be perfectly honest because it uh, build a better goat it helps you build a better goat
and that's what we should be trying to do. So this year, we uh, because I've got the reading plan done early, and we have very specific goals for how we want our kidding season to go. And how our kidding season goes depends on how we do our breeding season. So a um, couple things we uh, really want out of our kidding season. And one is that potentially we may be traveling in early March. So we can't start kidding in early March. So we can't start breeding in early November. Devin wanted to be able to like do something fun for my birthday. And I'm like, well, that's a little bit late. So I'm going to tough it out. And if we get to do something in early March, then great. Um, but, uh, we, what we really want to do this year is have, I was like, so what are our summer goals? Like a summer goal is I don't want to be bottle feeding kids until the middle of July or later. Um, we bottle feed our kids until they're a minimum of 10 to 12 weeks old. And so then if I said, I want all the kids out on pasture by the 4th of July, end of discussion. So in order to do that, we got to count back 12 weeks from the 4th of July, which means we need all of our kidding to be done by sometime in April. I have this all on the calendar. And then if we have this period where like we don't want kids before this date and we don't want kids after this date, so that gives us a three-week window of all of our breeding has to be done in that window. And like... 45 does in three weeks is a lot of kids all at once, but it does make management a little bit easier where you have all these kids that are going to be going through, you have larger numbers of kids that are going to be going through their kind of like life stages, like their life pin markers um, at the same time. So kind of the process is it's fewer like life markers to keep track of. You're like, okay, all these kids were born this week. All of these kids wean this week in general. Like it makes it, it makes it easier to say that sometimes you have kids that are a little bit small and need a little bit extra milk or some of you have big, big bozo bucklings who are gigantic and you can wean them earlier. But in general, in my opinion, and you may disagree, it's easier to have a bunch of kids at the same life stage where they're all weaning together rather than a bunch of kids who are spread out all over the place and you have to like make special kind of accommodations for each one of them. Um, so that is our plan for our consolidated kidding season and consolidated breeding season. Another um, thing that is changing for us for our breeding season is that um, we are uh, doing a little bit different breeding thing now. So I mentioned it's like 45 or 48 does on our uh, kidding schedule, which is a lot. It's a lot of kids. It's a lot of animals. It's like, what are, what are we doing with all these animals? This is a lot of animals to have. And like, we're at a place where we really want to start to refine what we're doing with our animals. We want to have really nice goats, basically. And we also have to remember, I said the second time I'm saying this, is that we run a business. Like, these animals need to be profitable in order for us to keep doing what we're doing. And that means that 
like we are, we're gonna have a hundred kids we need a, a meat market for these kids is the is the long and short of it um, we don't have time to really be going to shows we're not a show herd we're a production herd and uh, we put these kids in the freezer a, a lot of them and we've been put you know Nubians is what we've done this whole 12 plus years that we've been breeding goats and we are branching out a little bit this year in that we bought a boar buck this summer. Um, he's been with us for a month-ish now and I love him and he's super cute and he's very handsome and he's really beefy and I'm ex- excited to see what his kids look like in terms of um, a f- hopefully like a little more heavily muscled animal for our, uh, our goat meat market. Um, which certainly is has been not the demand that we had before COVID as far as um, our goat meat market this year, but certainly better than it was last year with COVID. Um, we sold a lot of kids, like live kids, for, for breeding and family milkers and things like that last year, whereas we don't usually. We usually put a lot of kids in the freezer. So the... Um, that's a that's certainly a difference but we don't like I'll be very honest and like I don't like selling kids privately to homes very often um I've had people not take care of them to be perfectly blunt and then try to say it was our fault um that that their animals didn't grow because they didn't feed them which is you know frustrating Um, and then it's also frustrating because we want the best for these animals that we raise and put so much into and to see them not get all the stuff that they could get and become the animal that they could is disappointing so what are we doing with our boar buck this year is we are breeding him to all of our yearling and two-year-old first fresheners so the two-year-old or well they're all going to be two-year-old, but then there's some that are going to be three-year-old first fresheners, which is, like, totally freeloading for a really long time and really not okay, like, from a business perspective, those spoiled brats. Um, oh, God, it makes me just make a face and roll my eyes to even think about it, but the last, you know, like I said, this year has been less chaotic and slightly less stressful, at least from a what-are-we-doing-with-this-product standpoint, but... Uh, last year was just total chaos and like trying to make it through. So um, we're going to put uh, this buck out with the yearlings, so the 2020 doe kids that we have kept uh, starting a couple of weeks. I need to get a pasture area ready for them. And this is a little bit different than what we usually do too, but they're just going to, we're going to split them into two groups because there's about 20 of them, if I recall correctly, maybe even more. We are going to have a ton of first fresheners this year. It's going to be interesting, but, uh, we're going to split them into two groups and they're going to go out with the buck one week and then we're going to rotate them. And the, the second group's going to go out with him the next week. So we have the space to do that, and it's a little bit less labor-intensive than uh, hand-breeding every single one of those does. So we're just going to do it. And then we have a window for each of them. Well, it's about a week window of this is when this group of does should kid, and then this is when this group of does should kid. And then there'll be overlap with other does that will either be hand-breeding or AIing during that same time period. 
so that's a little bit of a departure for us this year too but I hope it is a little bit time saving and yeah then we'll have all of it so all of those kids will be uh, meat market kids and you know then we have uh, I think I have about 14 or 15 does that I want to do AI and my AI strategy is now we have AI babies from a couple of years that have been through one or two uh, lactation cycles and we've got a couple that I mentioned in a previous episode that are just cranking and one of the uh, one of those breedings I is a, a buck that the semen collection was never recorded and it's a tragedy because both of those does are rock stars um, and or using that one again even though these animals have to be recorded grade even though they're not and it's I mentioned before it's a tragedy for a number of reasons one is because and probably like the more legitimate reason that it's a tragedy that that piece of paper never got sent in is that uh that the these there's no way to like genetically trace these animals through the database now so like if you go to adga genetics you can find this buck he's in there but he doesn't have a collection on file which means any ai progeny are not registered as his progeny and then also any relatives of these animals or the progeny of that buck or like any relation there's no way of tracing that and being like oh look this is actually like a productive and uh you know solid genetic line that does really well and (laughs) that sucks um because we're like we need to use uh I guess part of the thing talking about breeding is like using the tools that we have which I think in general unfortunately like the dairy goat world lots of it is not fully aware of all of the stuff that's available to help us build a better goat Uh, like the uh, Adga performance programs and milk test and all of these things like if we I I admittedly like when I was making my breeding plan and when I've made breeding plans in the past I go start looking through my semen uh spreadsheet and I'm like oh my god look at all these bucks and I kind of like have a few that I really like the progeny that we've got out of them but then I go and look them up in the ADGA genetics and there's not that many there's not enough data like just in general um you look up a buck a buck with a lot of progeny like if that thing has a hundred registered daughters that's amazing but then all of those daughters need to be on performance programs in order to have enough data about that buck and like they're not they're not because not we don't we don't do it in general we don't do it enough there's thousands of dairy goats out there and like if I can find a buck with 20 daughters that have had a linear appraisal and or been on milk test that is amazing if I can find a buck that has a half a dozen daughters that got both LA'd and milk tested that is like really good and part of it for me might be that my semen tank is full of old dead guys so that makes it more challenging Um, And I haven't ordered semen in a long time because I have literally more than a hundred bucks in my tank and, uh, you know, I've really liked some of what I've gotten out of there. 
so it makes it hard to justify buying more semen. But maybe if I get to the ADGA convention next year, so I, I believe it's next year that it's going to be back on the East Coast, and maybe Devin and I will go, um, we'll bring our semen tank along, and we can do some semen trading if people are interested. But uh, it's hard to it's hard to hoard all that stuff because it's like, well, I'm never going to use it. Um, if I need to use it, or use it or lose it. It's not doing anybody good. Anybody any good sitting in that tank frozen. Um, so my AI strategy, getting back to that a little bit, is I've got these fourteen or fifteen, maybe it's even more than that. Whatever, somewhere in the teens number of does that will be. I would like to AI breed. And as I mentioned before, if they don't take from that, then they have one of our Nubian bucks as backup. Um, We really shouldn't keep any replacement does next year unless they're out of these AI breedings because we really want to be keeping the best of the best at this point. Um, So I have three bucks, if I recall correctly, that I have a good amount of semen from each of these three bucks. I've really liked the does that we've gotten so far out of those AI breedings, and the majority of the AI breedings are to those three bucks. Um, The other handful of does that is not to one of those three bucks so there's a couple of does that are older ladies that we really like for one reason or another and this is going to be their last breeding before they're retired and we're just we really would just like to get more kids out of them is is kind of the short story there um so they're getting bred to some some stuff in the tank that i have fewer straws of that are like kind of exciting old dead guys um And if we get kids, great, and those does can be milked until they don't want to be milked anymore, and then they'll retire. Um, That we won't, you know, they'll be milked, they'll go on milk tests still, um, and then when they seem like they want to dry up, we'll dry them up and let them get fat and happy for the rest of their time with us. Um, that's, That's what we do with our retired does. We figure after, you know, roughly eight to ten years of pregnancy and lactation you've earned your last couple years of rest and relaxation out in the field um my outdoor field pasture goal this year was to get the kid fencing done and i will have an episode about fencing for sure um, because we've learned a lot this year and uh I'll probably maybe Devin and I'll do that episode together. Um, but so what my, my goal this year is it's almost done. I'm going home to work on this. I had to go get another half a mile fencing wire. I have to count how many miles of fence wire I've run this summer because it's a lot. Um, we're definitely in the miles at this point. Um, so yeah, goal for this year was to get the kid fencing area uh, done and then goal for next year is I'd like to have a couple of areas, one area for the bucks and one area for the retired does to be out in like their summer gazebo pasture area. So that's that. Um, And I think I kind of covered all of my like breeding season thoughts for this year. I'm sure everybody does it differently. Um, when and okay, so then I guess the only other thing I didn't talk about was my my bucks, my Nubian bucks, the the bucks that'll be either live cover backup for AIs that don't take, or um, 
the does that are just going to be live covered. And so we see what they give us. Um, and I have one five bucks right now. Um, and they all like, you know, honestly, like I, I have had them around a little bit now and the, there's a couple, several of them are younger and there are a couple things that I really notice about the progeny of, in particular of the younger ones and I haven't, uh, I'm trying to think what I've got. I, I don't know that I've kept a lot of the does from a couple of them. Having said that, we have some this year that I think we're keeping. Um, but the things that I'm looking, like I select these bucks based off of basic, like appropriate, uh, like cross. I don't tend to go for line breeding. Um, just that's what I, how I tend to approach my breeding plan. So the three bucks that I have that are born on that born out of our herd are all AI babies, but they're to two different maternal lines. Um, there's two bucks that are fairly closely related. And then there's one that's from a different maternal line. Um, so between those bucks, I have to be a little bit more careful about which does I breed them to for, if I want to be careful about like what my inbreeding uh, coefficient is, as uh, so I like to keep it low. Um, and then my other two bucks were purchased from the same herd, but not super closely related. And for a while, my oldest buck, who's a 2016 buck, so he is five years old now. And he, like, we used him fairly heavily for a couple of years before we started doing AI. And now it's good that we still have him because I can breed him back to some of these does that were AI babies um, because he's completely unrelated to them which is nice. Um, so that's kind of the thing there. Um, I have one of the younger bucks who just has a much, in my opinion, I haven't done linear appraisal for several years, but to my eye, in my opinion, one of the younger bucks just has a much nicer front end than the other two younger bucks and probably seems to, his kids seem to have a nicer front end than the other animals, which was something that was a weak point in our herd when we got appraised in 2014. So I tend to, like, breed him to some of the the animals that I think need a stronger, wider uh, front end. But anyway, um, that is my breeding thoughts for uh, 2022 kidding season. And, uh, yeah. Let me know what questions you have or comments or things you think about during breeding season. But I think that's going to do it for the moment, and I will talk to you guys next time. Meh.